Well, welcome back, everybody, for what's going to be a truly special episode of Tech Whispers. Before I get there, according to Statista Research Organization, there was $1.3 trillion spent on digital transformation initiatives globally in 2021, and a trend that only continues to be higher, probably closer to $6 trillion in 2023. Research from BCG also tells us that 70% of digital initiatives fail. So friends, if we do the math on that, carry the one, that equates to a trillion dollars of failure in 2021 alone. Probably not something you want to put in your business case for your digital initiatives with your CFO and your board. But this begs the question, why are digital transformation initiatives failing at such a high rate? And what do we do to set our companies up for success? So to help answer these big, bold questions that everyone's wrestling with right now, I'm joined by three friends whose collective brain power could basically power a major city, and that's not an exaggeration. One of the special features of our three guests, they're each digital leaders, they're practitioners, but they've also completed doctor degrees in the past year, and they've done some really, really interesting research on these different topics. So these folks include Dr. Susan Nakashima, I call her Susan, longtime friend, who's now a retired IT executive and an adjunct professor at Pepperdine University in Southern California. My good friend, Dr. Michael Seals. Mike is the chief digital officer and the SVP of strategy at Hussman Corporation. And Dr. John Hill, uh, good friend John, is the chief digital information officer at MSC Industrial Supply. John, welcome. I wanna get started with you here. Hi, thanks, Dan. We've had some fun conversations, John, recently about you and what are you now? I mean, they created a special role for you. Uh, what are the different aspects, the different hats that you're wearing now? Sure. I guess if you ask 100 people what digital means, you get 100 different answers. At MSC, uh, the digital organization includes you know, traditional technology group, uh, security, the advanced analytics and, and data science. Um, but it also includes e-commerce business unit, marketing, all of our metalworking innovation, our customer-facing solutions like vending and vendor-managed inventory. So it's quite a broad uh, portfolio, but really meant to be all those things um, with a very intense digital orientation. Really interesting, and and I think we're going to start to see more of this these uh, these roles that are uh, CIO plus, as we as we say it. Uh, you know, John, let's unpack your doctoral research because you had a survey, 132 CIOs, I believe. Um, so looking back at the research, maybe shed some light on maybe why why the high failure rate with digital initiatives. Okay. Well, you know, as you said, you know, despite years of research into best practices, sharing and things like project management, change management, there still really is a stunningly high failure rate in digital digitalization projects. You know, you've got extensive certification programs in project management, change management. If you ask most CIOs, they'd say they're agile, and yet the results still don't prove out. So, you know, my uh, assertion is that things like project management and change management are really more hygiene factors. In other words, they're they need they're necessary but not sufficient in order to drive it. So, my assertion was that. You know, there are organizational characteristics that are, are more um, statistically significant predictors of that organization's ability to create, you know, ultimately digital capabilities. So my research focused on understanding these organizational characteristics. I, I named them uh, this collection, uh, Organizational Digital Agility or, or ODA, 
And in fact, the research, as you mentioned, I, I surveyed 132 CIOs, you know, found that there was a statistically insignificant relationship between the creation of those digital capabilities and the level of project management, change management, and even the level of, of spending on digital initiatives. And yet the level of ODA in an organization significantly uh, affects that digital capability creation. And, and the implications of understanding this, this organization or this phenomenon are enormous. By some accounts, the, the total market for digital transformation is somewhere around $6 trillion in, in 2023. So just a 20% improvement in, in those digitalization outcomes re represents over a trillion dollar uh, in value to the market. And then even beyond that, there's opportunities for the organizations in terms of time to market, and then ultimately what it does to drive the revenue enhancements and profit margins that were behind their digital uh, initiatives. Really interesting. And this whole concept, organizational digital agility, I've never heard that before until I actually read your article with Martha Heller, which was really outstanding, unpacking the, the, the dimension. So we'll talk more about that here shortly. So yeah, thanks for being here, John. And you know, Mike, I want to turn to you. Welcome. Good to see you again. Thanks, Dan. Excited to be here. Yeah, so you had some exciting news in hiring a great CIO to um, to kick you out. Uh, Aaron Williams joined the team, and and uh, what does that give you time to do now, Mike? Yeah, so my role evolved recently, and uh, it really brought together business strategy and technology, and which is really my passion. It also reflects kind of my two parallel paths in my career. Uh, but what I like to say is that you can't separate technology and strategy anymore. So it really gives me a nice uh, position in the company to try and drive both in parallel. Yeah, so let's dig into your research because you got into the leadership practices, looking at successful digital transformation efforts. Um, you really dug in on incumbent companies, which I really appreciate. I find most interesting. So uh, unpack some of that for us, Mike. Yeah, so focusing on incumbents, I mean, I, I think my research interests are really around companies that, that make and sell physical things and not just any company, but companies that have been around for a long time and have succeeded over time. Um, you know, from a Darwin perspective, these are the survivors. And the question really is, are they prepared to survive in the digital age? And I think these companies have two unique characteristics. Um, you know, one is that technology can't displace the product itself. I mean, not least in our lifetime, right? So the product is going to be there, but the product's value proposition can certainly be um, disintermediated and disrupted by tech startups and technology. The other big, big challenge for these organizations is that the leaders of these organizations rightfully have great in-depth knowledge of their industry and another company, but research has shown they lack digital acuity or digital uh, intelligence, right? So, um, and you can't replace these leaders with a bunch of tech leaders because then they wouldn't understand the core business. So the real uh, opportunity here is, is, can you supplement these smart leaders that lack digital acuity with business practices that allow them to succeed? So Mike, I'm gonna do something very unfair to you. Uh, we're gonna put your the framework that you built up on screen. So for those who are on YouTube watching us, they can see it. Uh, we could do an entire podcast on this, but can you give us the highlights of this? I mean, it's a pretty interesting uh, kind of map that you built out here based on the research. Yeah, so I think what I really focused on was was best practices, basically, similar to what John was doing. And it's to, to compensate for the lack of digital uh, acuity is can we teach these leaders of these incumbent companies the practices that they should put in place to allow their organizations to succeed in their digital initiatives. 
So through my research, I was able to identify 14 leadership practices uh, that were all positively correlated to high levels of success in the digital transformation journey. Uh, practically speaking, you can look at these things as, as, as best practices for leaderships. Um, they, all, they all were positively correlated, but one really stood out as being a key driver of success. And, and that is the ability to um, quantify and measure uh, digital transformation, um, the journey, right? And it's, it sounds intuitive, but it really gets back to this whole thing, you get what you measure. Surprisingly, in talking to these companies, a lot of organizations couldn't articulate what success looked like in their digital journey. So my research didn't specifically identify what that measurement was, but it did say that organizations that can articulate success and measure success have a nine times greater um, odds of being successful in a digital transformation journey. That's pretty powerful. Sure is. Yeah, thanks for thanks for that. And again, just love this research, love the learnings coming out of this. That's going to really feed into our I think we're going to turn this the uh, the tide here on this uh, abysmal abysmal failure rate. Um, so, Doctor Doctor Susan Nakashima, uh, my my dear friend Susan, known each other for a long, long time, probably more than we'll admit to right now. <laughs> happy, happy that we have this partnership. Absolutely, for sure. Just became a uh, first time grandparent, grandma. So uh, you'll yes. soon come to learn that uh, you know if I knew that if I knew it was this good, I would have done it first. That, that's the that's our <laughs> That's what we say as grandparents. Kind of, I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're now at, at Pepperdine. Uh, you've done one of the great transitions into the next chapter, which people, uh, you know, and as we get get to that season, we 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 all struggle with that. Like, what's next? And you you're thriving at that. Uh, but I want to talk about your research, and you got into the leadership side of the equation, which is something you and I've talked about for decades. But based on the research, how are we doing in setting our IT and digital leaders up? today? Right. Well, the reality is that we know that very few things have changed more dramatically over the last decade than technology. And there's an urgent need for leadership within IT positions. There was a recent global trends report that said 80% of respondents rated leadership as a top priority, yet most executives feel their organizations don't have the leadership that they need. So research tells us that the average age of an individual promoted to supervisor is 27 years old, and the average age of an individual in a company leadership development program is 46 years old. So that's an average of 19 years that a supervisor is leading without leadership training. Additionally, 60% of first-level leaders share that they've never received any training for their new role. So that really piqued my interest. So I focused my research on first level supervisors leading technical teams, which included 92 teams across the US in the entertainment, the government and utilities industries. And I focused on transformational leadership training that they'd received, if any, the impacts on their team's psychological safety, meaning if their teams feel comfortable to candidly speak up and take risks, and then subsequently, the outcome behaviors of the teams. So specifically, their learning behaviors and their knowledge hiding behaviors. And I was able to support my hypotheses that first-level technical leaders who create a psychologically safe environment for their employees promote learning behaviors and prevent knowledge hiding behaviors. So bottom line, there's an urgent need for IT leaders, leaders who have been trained to create a safe environment for their staff members. 
Yeah, I'm really concerned about our up and coming leaders and how we prepare them or not, you know, and I don't think they're today ready, never mind future ready. So this research is really important. And do you have a, a, a crisp definition when you say transformational leadership? Do you have a definition of what that means? Yeah, so transformational leadership training is really focused on embracing creativity, innovation, you know, trying new things for long term strategic goals. In, in comparison to a transactional leadership style or training, which is more focused on day-to-day -day and shorter-term goals. So actually, transformational leadership has four subcategories that are important to really understand. There's individualized consideration, which means listening, coaching, and communicating. There's uh, a lot of vowels. There's idealized influence, being a role model and instilling pride. There's inspirational motivation, which is providing a clear vision and sense of purpose. And then there's intellectual stimulation, which is challenging assumptions and taking risks and viewing mistakes as learning opportunities. And interestingly enough, in my study sample, leaders shared that they received the most training in individualized influence, which is being a role model and they received the least training in intellectual stimulation, which is taking risks and seeing mistakes as lessons learned. And that was so unfortunate because as we know, psychological safety centers on feeling comfortable to take risks and intellectual stimulation was the most correlated and the most important transformational leadership sub subcategory to team psychological safety. Interesting. And gosh, that 19 year gap is mind boggling, right? Uh, 19 Absolutely. years before people get their first formal leadership development. And uh, fortunately, our military doesn't operate like that. They get leadership development all the time. You know, we have a lot to learn there. But, you know, John, organizational digital agility, a term you came up with, there's three components to it that you talk about Slack, alignment, and speed. And I'm really intrigued by the concept of Slack because it's not what most people are going to think it is. So, yeah. As you said, Dan, you know, Slack doesn't necessarily uh, connotate what the what somebody might um, think of when they first hear the word. With with complex digitalization issues, there are always situations where unforeseen uh, problems occur that inevitably requires additional resources. So when somebody hears the word Slack, the first assumption is, well, you're asking me to have idle resources. However, a more accurate definition assumes that to create Slack in an organization um, doesn't require that the organization have idle resources you know, waiting for work. It means that they need to structure work that can effectively be set aside without losing efficiency so that they can respond uh, to those changing conditions. You know, the existence of Slack provides the organization with a couple of capabilities. First, uh, resources are available to pick up previously unplanned tasks, and certainly any large digitization effort is gonna have those unplanned tasks. The organization has a better understanding of the tasks that are, are not time critical and can be done later. And then finally, the organization has a better understanding of tasks that if they're set aside, they, they don't uh, require rework when restarted. So first, you know, first next question, number of CIOs asked me, well, well, give me some examples of these, these magical tasks. So I, I kind of bucket those into uh, a few. So one would be innovation. Second would be continuous improvement. Third would be education, and the fourth would be the fourth would be uh, reducing uh, technical debt. 
So if CIOs set aside sprints or part of sprints for these types of activities, then by definition, they have the resources to jump in when that proverbial fire starts. Uh, so that the key to Slack is that moving the resources off of something like uh, a technical debt reduction exercise to a high priority uh, digitalization project poses little operational risk for them. They can return to that uh, activity later without losing productivity. Yeah, I think you were at the same meeting I was at, John. Uh, James Dallas, uh, legendary CIO now board member, and he talked about how uh, he challenged the room of award-winning or be award-winning CIOs that are we leaders as teachers? Are we becoming leaders as taskers? He just talked about the busyness, right? And is that is that kind of what Slack helps with so we don't get sucked into that tasker mode? Well, I mean, if I could put it this way, anytime there's going to be tons of tasks in here. The, the objective, though, as a CIO or any leader is how do I orchestrate that level of activity so that I've, I've created some flexibility in there? You know, there's a tendency to fill the pipeline completely up 100%. I've got everybody, you know, offer, you know, from 100% efficiency on the most efficient, you know, CIO there ever was. The problem is that there's no real flexibility that if, if a more important project gets behind that I can redeploy resources without significantly impacting something else. So I think that's really the, the, the nature of organizational Slack. Very interesting. Uh, Mike, I'd love to have you just jump in on some of your research. Feel free to comment on John's work too. So I know intellectually it's really, uh, you, you guys love this stuff. So feel free to jump in, but you talked about digital acuity earlier. I know you went to great pains to kind of define what that means, the different dimensions. Can you can you unpack that for us? Sure, and actually piggybacks a lot on what Susan and John are talking about from a leadership perspective. And I think we're all accept the fact that leaders need to have intelligence, you know, intellectual intelligence and also emotional intelligence. But there's this growing theme that leaders also need digital intelligence. And there's evidence to suggest that organizations that have leaders that have digital intelligence are outperforming those that don't. So this was interesting, and I think. The challenge is defining digital intelligence or digital acuity is how the term I use. And so I think my research was a bit more novel on this aspect of it. Um, and so really trying to understand what is the impact and uh, contribution of digitally savvy leaders to digital transformation success. So it was hard to define what digital intelligence or digital acuity is. So I had to dig deep into leadership theory and I came up with three variables that measure overall digital intelligence. One is digital literacy, and that is understanding these new technologies that are impacting businesses. The second is digital vision, knowing how to apply these technologies in my organization to create value. And the last is digital champion. You know, are leaders championing the digital transformation efforts? And this gets back to the fact that innovation champions are necessary for innovation to work. So getting to these three measures was difficult, but what was really interesting is that all three measures were positively correlated to digital transformation success directly and indirectly through those 14 processes and best practices I mentioned. Um, one that stood out, I think was really interesting to me was the need for business leaders to have a very clear and strong digital vision. And when those business leaders can articulate how to apply new technology to enhance their business, there was a much higher degree of success on their digital journeys than those that weren't able to. I love that. That's it's really fascinating. And Susan, I think it's a great way to segue into 
you know, just your your career, the way you show up, uh, the notion of uh, there was that book, What Got Me Here Won't Get Me There. And you've always lived that. You've always helped your people with that. You've been intentional about building the muscle, the mindset needed in folks uh, today. Um, but what's at risk? You know, if, if, if leaders aren't intentional about this, if they don't have the intestinal fortitude, the courage to invest, um, what's at risk here? Yeah, I think it's like, thank you for that, Dan. I think it's, it's significant. Absolutely. I think from a business practice lens, you know, technical teams continue, right, to receive increased responsibilities for developing innovative products and cost-effective services. So creating and nurturing a curious and safe environment is really critical. You know, when we establish working environments where employees are not comfortable to share their ideas and concerns, and if they don't, we're really missing out on learning and growth opportunities, not only as individuals, but as teams and organizations to truly remain relevant. So as part of my research, I found that many authors agree that beginning to develop leaders early in their careers is important. However, most organizations begin development processes at the senior level. So again, to be truly effective, leadership development should begin much earlier than as we talked about that average of 19 years that a new supervisor's enrolled. So with that, you know, I'll take the opportunity certainly to encourage organizations to queue up their high potential individual contributors and their first level leaders as part of succession planning and efforts and provide transformational leadership training, including assigning mentors. So, I mean, you think about what could be achieved by leveraging the diverse skill sets and experience of our staff members in an environment where they're comfortable to think progressively and to push boundaries. Yeah, and you've all done that extremely well as leaders. I think that's one of the secrets to your, your shared successes and individual successes. And um, I, yeah, I want to kind of weave in something fun here. I call it the lightning round. So, you know, I think uh, a, a sentence or two response to this, the question. And, you know, I see a lot of uh, people making Einstein look really smart. Not that that's hard to do, but, you know, his his definition of insanity, right? Keep doing the same darn thing and expect a different result, right? And so when it comes to problems today, I see people, uh, even leaders, even CIOs continuing to approach those problems in the same way. But then folks like you kind of do the Rubik's Cube. You kind of twist a little bit. You you ask a different question. You come at the problem a different way. The three of you actually went and got doctorate degrees because you had these nagging questions in your brains that you wanted to go solve. And you know you had that intellectual curiosity. So uh, I guess my question is, what's the question? One or two sentences, what's the call to action that we'd like to have our, our CIOs, our CXOs, and our leaders take from here? So Susan, I'll, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, I think we should reflect on our existing environments, whether it's in the office, uh, remote, or hybrid, and ask ourselves and our staff if we've created a psychologically safe environment that encourages them to be curious and take risks. And if not, I think we should work with our teams to plan and to affect change and that'll benefit them and the organizations. So I'm very focused again on the people side, the environment side and what we can do to just make it better for them, a better working environment. 
But, you know, we're the ones in 1984 came out with the notion of developing the human type technology. So I, I dig that. So I appreciate that, Susan. Mike, call to action. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, so Dan, my call to action for my colleagues would be to engage with local universities. Probably not a surprise on this call, but universities are obviously a, a great source of talent for our, our teams here, but they're also a great source of leading edge knowledge. And, you know, the, the research that Susan and John have done is, is a great evidence of that. But I think the, um, you know, the IT leaders on, who are listening to this will also find these universities need them as much as we need, uh, we need the universities. And we can contribute so much to their curriculum, to the knowledge of the students, and just helping them uh, build the next uh, cohort of, of IT leaders. Yeah, and I know you walked the talk on that. Any, any university you want to give a shout out to, Mike? Sure. Uh, my alma mater, University of Missouri-St. Louis, and I'm active with them and uh, look forward to continuing that relationship. Otherwise known as UMSL, right? UMSL, yeah. Yeah, UMSL. that's the local thing, right? Love that's, it. That's an ism. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you go to high school, Mike, right? That's that's the, that's the St. Louis <laughs> question, right? That's that's it. Flyers. <laughs> John, uh, call to action. Yeah, I think the, the call to action is that CIOs need to be, um, uh, you know, take a definitive action. They can't just let it happen to them. So set aside sprint time for Slack activities. Create an ordinal prioritized list of projects and operations and be laser focused on driving a minimum viable product mentality uh, in the organization. You know, doing those things will help them uh, ultimately outperform other companies. Beautiful, beautiful. Again, I know you. I know you well. I know this is uh, how you operate. It's not. Uh, it's just not words on paper. You know, you you you've got the courage to go do that. Um, I'm going to continue this on. And anybody who listens to the podcast or me talk ever do panels know I love the CIOism, those expressions great leaders use when they're leading. And, you know, John, I'm going to come back to you. One of my favorite Johnisms. Uh, I think you'll, you'll know which one this is, but, you know, when it comes to facilitating difficult conversations, when it comes to managing large digital transformation efforts, um, you've got a good one that kind of cuts to the, uh, you know, how to get started on the right foot. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say to my teams and a number of teams will probably smile when they hear this and say, you can't carry everything with you across the desert. So I you know, look at one of these these big projects and you have to think about it as I have to get across the desert without dying. And if I try to carry everything with me, I'm not going to make it. So you look at projects and think about scope and figuring out how to get to that minimum viable product type of approach. You know, having that kind of in the back of your mind helps you be a little more focused as to what's the what's the prize? The prize is surviving and getting to the other side, not how much I carried with me. You know, that's a powerful message, John, right? And that's part of the, the skill set of a great leader is be able to communicate a vision, communicate a story, get people to come on that. I mean, who wants to go across the desert to begin with, right? So you got to get them on that journey and uh, no, so, so good. And, you know, Susan, I spent a lot of time studying courage because I just find it to be, those who have it, it's just so inspiring, you know, and, and uh, we need more of it today. And when you double click on it, what you find is that the common denominator of courage is fear, right? No fear, no courage. So I think we need to think about fear in different, in different ways. So I just kind of share that. But um, you have a Susanism that kind of hits that head on. So do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. So it is always put your dreams in front of you and your fears behind you. Mm. You know, as an as an example, you know, being promoted from an individual contributor to a supervisor is a bit scary. 
You know, something that I've heard from my high potential mentees. As an individual contributor, the goal was to stand out, right, with our deliverables. And as supervisors, our goals are much different. And the enormity of the shift in roles is not always immediately apparent to new leaders. You know, bring, being a supervisor brings new challenges and opportunities, one of which is to create and foster an environment encouraging teams' interpersonal risk-taking, you know, for teams to feel comfortable speaking up, challenging the status quo, and exploring new ways of doing things. Mm, it's real good. Mike, I've got a, I've got a bunch of Mike-isms uh, to pick from, but, uh, you know, one that I really appreciate um, you know, data is data is uh, is gold, and and a lot of people struggle with data. People think data is a full lot of work, right? But uh, what's your micism when it comes to the whole idea of uh, data and decision making in particular? Yeah. So first off, I love this part of your your podcast, Dan. So I'm I'm actually really excited to be part of this. And um, and so I think my if I pick the ism, it'd be analytical rigorism, and and it's really kind of based on critical thinking skills and and the need for disciplined thought process. And probably no surprise based on this podcast, but I think as an IT community, we sometimes lack that. Um, I think it's best articulated with an Edwards Deming quote that says, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. Um, and when you think about IT leadership, our, our, biz, our jobs are so complex. They're every bit as complex as a manufacturing plant. And yet those, our colleagues in those uh, functions are much more disciplined in their approach in business improvement, problem solving, and so forth. So um, I believe IT leaders can learn from our, our operations um, colleagues and really apply a, a much more rigorous approach to our, our decision-making process and problem solving. Now, there's an interesting corollary to that, to the original quote, and that is without opinion, you're just another person with data, right? So IT leaders really need to come forward with, the, with, the, with their thoughts on what does that mean? So to me, those two embody and encompass a successful IT leader. Yeah, how many times have you been in a meeting and, uh, you know, you see people that don't have a point of view. They don't right. show up with a yeah, perspective. Yeah, uh, so what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Really good. I'm going to do another uh, lightning round because I, I really want to help people. I'm sure they're going to be peaked. Their interest is going to be peaked around your leadership philosophies, your research. Um, so I'd love to get you to talk about individually, like, where would they go to learn more about your research? Or even maybe there's a way to contribute to it, because I know you're all into continuing this work. So, John, organizational digital agility, you've coined the term, you've written about it. We're going to do a, you know, we're going to do some more work on this, but how do we learn more about that? Well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll say if you want to go to the heart of it, if you search organizational digital agility and John Hill, the, the first least uh, organic result will be the link to my dissertation. So, uh, and I'll give a tip for folks who've never read a dissertation. Um, maybe skip the first 109 pages or so and, and get to uh, chapter five where it'll kind of go through all the implications and recommendations and everything else. If you're, if you're really up for it, uh, this is a quantitative uh, study. So, um, you know, there you can read the whole thing, but certainly, but that would be my recommendation is, you know, to really understand it, take some time and read, you know, the heart of where the research is at. And folks, I'm always willing to uh, connect with people if they want. They're happy to ping me on LinkedIn and set up some time to discuss. Fantastic. No, I think I think that's really helpful, John. And um, I can't imagine writing 109 pages, never mind uh, 
And then, and then the editing process, right? You get the critique and then you go back and you have to rework it. Oh my goodness. I don't know how you all did it, but God bless you for doing it. Um, and John, I just, before we um, cut out, I just want to highlight over your left shoulder for those who are watching is the, uh, the Orby award, the CIO of the year Orby award. So pretty prestigious award. Congratulations on that. Uh, thank you. It really is a great honor for the, you know, the, the organization I work for when we got it. So. Yeah, impressive, impressive. And you were also in the national uh, award program as well, which is uh, just just incredible. I was there at Converge last year, so the best is yet to come from our friend John Hill. So <clears throat> keep an eye, keep an eye on him. And uh, so, Dr. John, Dr. Susan, um, where do we go to find more about your your work, your research, which is going to continue with your teaching at Pepperdine? Yes, absolutely. So my dissertation was published in ProQuest. I'm happy to provide the link as well, if that's helpful, uh, as well as the link to my published article in uh, hr.com. And that is um, winning the minds and hearts of employees. And I'm working on my second article at this point. So always happy to have some input and um, a review as well. Really good. Yeah, that's that's perfect. And, and Mike, um, you know, you talk about your framework, and I think I think you use the term digital transformation control system, um, which sounds really big, but it really is. You've got those 14 practices. So where do we go to learn more about that? And I know you want to continue that work as well. Yeah. So as, as John and Susan said, most dissertations are public. My A link to my dissertation is embedded in my LinkedIn profile. Um, and also, as John said, dissertations can also be very long and boring unless you're really, really interested in the topic. Uh, so I was actually, um, you know, I had an opportunity to present a summary of my research at a recent SIM Advanced Practices Council, and I think there was a lot of really great conversation there. And I, I am looking for other venues to have those kind of conversations because I think there's, um, they, they all kind of really bring to a, a great dialogue with uh, with CIO leaders, and uh, you know, hopefully I'll, there's other venues out there for me soon. Yeah, there will be for sure. And uh, you know, Mike, I, I just want to point over your to your right right shoulder is the uh, uh, your plaque for being a, a mentoring excellence award in our TechLX leadership program. So thank you for right. that. And yeah, uh, thanks for giving me that opportunity, Dan. I really enjoy those. Our mentees are so fortunate to have people like yourself and John and and Susan. You as well. I know you're very active as a mentor. And uh, we we appreciate couldn't couldn't run that program without our our mentors because uh, and strangely uh, most people come into this program and maybe this is the 19 year gap Susan but most people come to the program have never had a mentor before so what does that tell you right there right so well we're going to put a wrap on this incredible conversation uh, I I just feel the the energy the brain power here and and I wish you all well in your day jobs I wish you well in your continued studies. And uh, for our audience, they know that uh, it doesn't stop here. We're going to uh, write and publish an article next week on CI.com, where I'm going to unpack more of the brilliance from uh, Dr. Susan Nakashima and Dr. Mike Seals and Dr. John Hill. So thank you each very much, and you all be well. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.